Do you want to predict the weather 100 days in advance? And what animals have blue blood? Let's, Let's learn, learn a thing or two. two. All right, welcome back to the Two Top Podcast. Welcome back to the Two Top Podcast. We uh, may or may not have just recorded an episode a couple minutes ago. But you guys don't know that. Well, now you do. But we are always on the forefront of knowledge. Of topics. And we're so current that I'm coming at you with a super current topic, Matt. I'm hitting you with the Farmer's Almanac. <laughs> oh, classic Farmer's Almanac. Is it real, Thomas? Is it, as, is it a viable source of information for knowing when to plant my corn crops? So the Farmer's Almanac has been around since the printing press days in America. There's one. Was that just 1700s or 1800s? 1800s. Well, okay. there's, there's two farmers are on the on the max that still print today there's the old farmer's almanac was which was the started original. by ben franklin no this one was started by um no maybe he did start a it. robert b thomas okay robert b thomas now the farmer's old almanac. farmer's almanac got, changed its name to the old one because it's been the longest lasting and that one started in 1792 then there's also the farmer's almanac Spelled, so the first one is the Old Farmer's Almanac. Old Farmer's Almanac. Which is farmer's, farmer apostrophe S, so it's an individual's farmer almanac. The farmer's possessive. And the other one is Farmer's Almanac, which is farmer's parentheses, so all the farmer's almanac. Oh, okay. Okay. I'll I'll look out for that. Make a difference. Yeah. So... You pretty much got it right when you asked. They were for predicting the weather. My corn crops, Thomas. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming that was kind of the earliest form of, of weather analysis, right, and kind of predictions. I mean, you can go on weather.com and look it up, up like a couple months ahead, the forecast. It won't be necessarily super accurate, but you can. It's essentially what it is, right? It was, and it was a big deal to farmers at the time. I mean, it's in its second year, it's just distribution tripled. And it's funny, the book back then cost four cents. But that might have been some money back then, right? Yeah. <laughs> An investment, you know. You know, every farmer should have one at the at the time if you're planting crops. And that was like, but before that, I'm assuming they didn't really have any other method of figuring out when to plant stuff or what's going to happen in the year because that was all based on like, I'm a farmer. I know the soil. I've seen the trends in the weather. I can predict it. But now that takes your responsibility off farmers' hands and says, you know, here's our collected research. We're going to present it to you in a book. This is what we think is going to happen. And was it fairly accurate? To an extent. Okay. I'm sure you'll explain <laughs> so, that. So, <laughs> Matt, I'm going to give you an option. Do you want to talk about the old farmer's almanac or the farmer's almanac? Talk about the old one. Take us back. I okay, think. cool. The only thing I wanted to say about the farmer's almanac when it comes to, like, accuracy they predicted that the uh, 2014 winter outlook, they said at the time of Super Bowl XLV, uh, so Super Bowl. Oh, I it's the Super Bowl in 2014. The um, big Super Bowl. Yeah, that one. The big the big game. The big game. Yes. The um, big game. It said that it was going to have a crazy winter storm, but the weather was actually quite warm, and it was warmer than average at that time. Okay, that's a big flaw. So, obviously, there have been some mishaps. But, Thomas, I'm going to ask you something. When we watch the weather, 
Do they get it right all the time? No, but this is the difference. The Farmer's Almanac, imagine you got the weather from the news. You got a whole year's worth of weather all at once. Yeah, okay. That's the thing. You publish it. That's it. You can't change it. Yeah. You know? So, weather constantly I mean, now, like, these almanacs also have an online presence, but they're still print publications. Mm-hmm. Now, they, they've they wised up, and they changed it from, like, it's not weather predictions. It's kind of like weather guidelines mm-hmm. in a sense. It's not giving specifics. Like on the 3rd of March, it's going to snow. It's more like around this time, we're going to be, it's going to be a colder winter than average. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a guidelines. Yeah, it's a guideline. I, I picked up a copy at the Tractor Supply Co. last year, two years ago, and uh, it was fun looking at it. They had, it was mostly advertisements, which yeah, I'm sure was a, a big part of it. So. Um, I saw one at a Walgreens, and that's yeah. what made me think of this topic. I was like, whole that that could be a topic on its own because oh. it's a historic piece of of literature that so many people owned. And to um, see it printed again, it was like, wow! I didn't know that they still had still them. thing. Well, it's funny because yes, there is an online presence, but I, you know, I work at a plant nursery and planting and weather is very important to our job and livelihood. And many of the older coworkers of mine actually talk to me i'm like and they're like hey you hear about this winter it's gonna be a bad one according to the farmer's Almanac." i'm like hey you read that in the farmer's almanac and good old old man rick is like yeah i read it in the farmer's almanac you know and i'm like okay i must trust rick he read the farmer's almanac and he's an older guy and not not 1800s old but you know people swear by that people some people swear by the farmer's almanac and i can't remember what he told me for last winter but i'm not sure if it was right or not um it fluctuates. It's like the news. I find it's the same thing. You know, it's like the news does have a daily update where they can adjust it, but they're wrong all the time. So, like, why would a long-term one be wrong? But also, I feel like historically they've been pretty good. I mean, our crop farmers have been successful for the most part. So, <sighs> I think. <laughs> let's go a little into it. So, they pre- to this day, they publish four editions per year which is an annual circulation of almost 3 million copies still. So they're still bumping stuff up. Uh, So there's only the only difference between the three U so there's four editions. There's one Canadian edition. Oh, and then there's weather up there. There's three U S editions and it's kind of the cities in which the astronomical astrological information is calculated and how tide times are presented. So the national edition is fitted for Boston and the New England states. The Southern edition is fitted for Atlanta and the Southern states. And the Western edition is fitted for San Francisco and the Western states. So they have three editions for each part of the world. Well, the U.S. Now, the forecasts emphasize the temperature and precipitation deviations from the average. So they can't obviously tell you the exact weather, but they can look based on 30-year statistical averages, they can find out, well, if this is what's been going on and these are the trends, it's all about the graphs and the trends, and they can kind of get a prediction saying, we haven't had a cold winter in this many years, which means we're due for one at this point in time. So, like, if they were looking for, let's say, 2020, they'd go all the way back to, like, 1990 and check all that data throughout that time Mm -hmm. to see what was the most prevalent what patterns we can see so the forecasts are prepared as much as 18 months in advance and presented in each edition by region 
So there's 16 regions in the U.S. and five in Canada, and they are in their respective countries' edition. Four additional uh, regions have been added to the website. This includes Hawaii, Alaska, and the Yukon territories and the northwestern tor- territories of Canada. Yeah. Because obviously Alaska is not shouldn't get the western territory books because Alaska is a completely different climate up there. Yeah, it's like almost near the Arctic Circle. I don't even know. No, nah, I don't think it. But you know, let's talk a little bit about accuracy. You know. How accurate can they be? That's what I want to know, well, Thomas. Should I bet my crops on it? Well, so they've reviewed the fi- – so some professors in the University of Illinois have been reviewing the accuracy of the past four years from 32 weather stations in the country and found out 50% of the monthly temperature forecast and 51% of the precipitation forecast were correctly predicted as deviations from the average. So – it's right 50% of the time. Yeah, that's that's what I would figure. That's a fair bet to say, like, oh, is it accurate? Uh, 50-50. That's pretty good. Go either way. Based yeah. off of just, um, like, if a coin toss based on the weather, that's not bad. And a one-chance publication, you know? Yeah. To offer you 50% right, you know? But that's up to you then to, to choose, right? <laughs> so, actually, you know what's crazy, too? Uh, in 2008, the Almanac stated that the Earth has entered a global cooling period that could last decades. And this was based off of predictions of sunspot cycles. In 2008? Yeah, in 2008. Cooling. But people say global warming is happening. So. What does that mean? Who knows? Yeah, I, I hear lots of terms around when people talk about global warming and the sun is cooling down which means we could go into another ice age. You know, I, I think like, what is it? The science says like if the sun drops a couple degrees, we go into another ice age or something crazy like that. Yeah. But you crazy know, stuff. we're all just reading this from a book who reads books these days, who reads old almanacs telling wish, you the weather. I wish I read more books, Thomas, to be honest. I should as well. But you know what? These books have a great online presence as well. Starting in all the way back 1996, the internet's growing. Yeah. The Almanac, they see this opportunity. They're on there. They launched Almanac.com. Almanac.com. Almanac.com? Or Farmers yeah. Almanac? No, Almanac.com. They're the boys. Wow. Who have www.almanac.com. Wow, good for them. Now, have you been on the website? What's it look like? Yeah, I mean, you have your laptop out. You can come check it out with me as well. Come on a, come on a journey to Almanac.com. Almanac.com. Oh, yeah. The Old Farmer's Pashvies Almanac, founded in 1792. Free beginner's garden guide. Wow, that's no beat it, get it, B-E-E-T it. So they have a little bit of everything here. Yeah, it definitely appeals to, like, a certain type of person. Spring cleaning tips. Time to start a hive. Are you interested in raising honeybees? Ooh. Today is a 99% full moon. It's 15 days old. Would you look at that? That's awesome. I really like moon phases. I have a really cool astral moon calendar but since you actually have it out you can see the um 16 regions of the u.s that they cover and including 17 and 18 of alaska and hawaii yeah yeah alaska hawaii 17 and 18 but this is a site that you could you could load up in the in the day and you you can get like a little little fill in on on the world they have a word of the day bilge advice of the day it's easier to separate the yolk from a white if the egg is cold oh Puzzle of the day too. The what puzzle, what? is that which was tomorrow and will be yesterday? What of that? that? What is that which was tomorrow and will be yesterday? Wait, let's see. Today, 
<laughs> Wait, I gotta think about that one. What is that which was tomorrow? Tomorrow was tomorrow. What was tomorrow? It was will- tomorrow. And it will be yesterday after today's over today. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it shows you how much the old Farmer's Almanac 2019, $6.18 on Amazon. You can buy Prime. last year's version. I don't know why, for even less. I, I think people collect them. They are. They do seem Oh, like I certainly imagine thing. they do. Calendar. So Fishing I want to see if you can, since you have this open. So an interesting thing is, yeah, you can still kind of see it in some of the paperback you see that little black dot in the corner yeah that is, that? is a hole would they hang it on something they would hang it on a nail in your barn or something yeah. oh that's so wholesome thomas that is americana at its core right there like when you got to check the weather you have your book you go into the barn go back bessie and then like that is the farmer lifestyle and wow. the almanac in a sense was for those people now today i mean people still use it but how accurate is it well we know it's like 50 percent. but this is a great website everyone should look everybody should go check out thealmanac.com buy a copy too i'm trying to think um, well the plan was i was gonna bring a copy but i haven't run into one in my recent adventures i'm searching if there's a farmer's almanac in other countries maybe no, it's just like a North American thing. It's a, it is very much a North America idea of having a book of the weather and the farmers in a union working together, finding out the weather and when to do crops. It feels very Americana. Yeah, I can see the original copy had like a piece of string where that hole is, so you hang it on your nail. Social media, they have over 1.2 million followers on Facebook. Twitter, Instagram. That's pretty oh, big. Oh, you should follow them on Instagram, Thomas. We yeah, should follow them on our podcast account learn something. I'm trying to think. Yeah, there's the old Farmer's Almanac also. But, yeah, Thomas was really ahead of his time when he came up with this. What a great idea. You know, that was essentially, like, the ultimate weather and everything resource tool. And, obviously, people thought it was, like, oh, people buy advertising. You know, they got rid in on that, funded it. So, it's, of course, been a successful thing. It's like the like a Sears catalog, kind of. Yeah. You know? Same vibe. Just, it stood the test of time. Stood the test of time, that's for sure. But that's uh that's the farmer's almanac, the old farmer's almanac, which is still coming out new to this day. But Matt, what do you have to fill us in? Now there's something uh, something specific to American culture. This is something really specific. So I'll, I'll run you down with a little anecdote here. The other day I saw a video, and it was someone digging in the sand at the beach, and they would lift up the sand, and there would be all these critters under there, and one was like a horseshoe crab, and the caption on the video was like. Is this really what's under the sand? I'm like, duh, have you ever been to the beach? You ever seen crabs or anything? Of course there are. The the environment's crazy. So someone commented on the video, said, hey, respect those horseshoe crabs. uh, They're pretty valuable. They offer us something that we should be very grateful for. And I was like, what the heck is this person talking about? Quick Google search. I think I know what you're going to talk about. What is it? Are you going to talk about the blue blood of the the horseshoe? The blue blood. We're talking about horseshoe blue blood. Do you know what it's used for? I... I completely forget. All I know is these weird crabs that I wouldn't think have blood. They have blood. They have and blood. It's bright blue. Bright blue. It's it's like Star Wars blue. You've seen Star Wars. You've yeah. seen the blue milk or whatever. You know, Luke drinks it at the one point. But what does it do? It's a really important agent in medical in the medical field. So really? I'll get into it. So over three decades ago, 
medicine found its way into this ancient animal, the horseshoe crab. You know, it's kind of a peaceful animal. It doesn't do much. In 1971, researchers discovered that when they exposed the horseshoe crab to E. coli bacteria, the crab's blood clotted. So it's the clotting agent in the blood that is the valuable part. The clotting indicated the presence of endotoxins, toxic substance or substances released by E. coli, and other gram-negative bacteria that could produce severe symptoms in exposed humans, such as a fever or hemorrhagic stroke. Wow. Pretty serious stuff. Look at this picture. They're milking blood from horseshoe crabs. That's a lot of crabs. Yeah. I, like a lot. That's funky. And it, there's a lot of money that goes into it. And also, there's a lot of things that are that are wrong with it because it's such like a, a new procedure, and it's the FDA staple for what um not purification but um sterilization of of medical tools so the simplicity of the the horseshoe crab's immune system is actually what formed this this chemical to be so valuable so horseshoe crabs live under the constant threat of infection in a habitat that can easily contain billions of bacteria per millimeter so to fight off that infection the horseshoe crab has a compound in its blood lal or limulus amebocyte lysate okay limulus amebocyte lysate l-a-l lol you know which immediately binds and clots around fungi viruses and bacterial endotoxins so you can picture it crabs are kind of bottom feeders a lot of them and they don't look the cleanest horseshoe crabs look prehistoric you know they look like those little those little fossil guys they're they're crawling around on the bottom of the ocean especially in modern times tons of bacteria dangerous things humans drink that water you know we'll get really sick and die you know maybe not die have a stroke or whatever so horseshoe crabs are really really good at fighting off these toxins so lal's in endotoxic binding and clotting ability is what makes it so valuable to pharmaceutical industries so once the lal is tested and it was recognized by the um, fda it isn't it became an alternate to the then current methods of testing for endotoxins so these pharmaceutical companies took this LAL and applied it to their methods that they were already doing for sterilizing medical equipment like, you know, like you know, they recycle needles. They do scalpels and stuff. They will literally soak these tools in horseshoe crab blood. And when they pull it out, it'll reveal where the bacteria is because it's so sensitive. It'll clot around it. It won't purify it, but it'll. it's like an indicator. Pretty okay. crazy, so right? It's a, more of a testing material. It, it forms a jelly on the dirty parts. Oh. So if you're like, okay, this this scalpel was soaked in this bath and it has some jelly on it, we have to re re cleanse it and then test it again. Is that because um like, it must be because it <coughs> it works so fast that they use it. It's so quick. It's <coughs> sorry. It's instant sterilization or not sterilization. It's an recognition instant, like coagulation. Of instant the coagulation, yeah, and clotting. It's it's pretty crazy that it's just a natural phenomenon in horseshoe crabs and i don't know how they found this you know that someone was it's, it's bio medical you know you're looking yeah. at animals and seeing like okay why is this animal so well adapted to living in this environment how can we apply it to humans lives well yeah horseshoe crabs live in dirty environments how are they so healthy how do they survive you know they don't have many predators i know it said loggerhead sea turtles will eat horseshoe crabs you know but i don't think they catch them live i think they just eat them when they die yeah i mean when i think of horseshoe crab i think very bare bones i don't really see a lot of crab in a horseshoe crab no if you flip it over under the shell it's pretty bare bones like the shell takes up a huge part of it like that horseshoe crab picture you showed of that bottle filled with that much blood i hope that's not one trip because that's a lot of blood in that small little creature 
there's there's more blood than what's in those bodies. Now they shift them out on. It's like a fact. It's like truly sad to see that it's like a factory process of them harvesting. And because it's such a new process, there's a bunch of problems with harvesting blood because there has not been a specific study until now on the rehabilitation of these crabs when they put them back in the ocean. Thirty percent of them. Actually, no, I'm sorry. Upwards of 40% of them die upon returning to the ocean. Yikes. They take 30% of their blood when they harvest right. harvest them. And that's, that sounds really bad when I say, like, they harvest these crabs. But they are. They do. And the, um, I guess it was the World Wildlife Organization put them not as endangered, but one step under at risk from really? a totally fine because they're realizing this is the standard. So... It is um, the FDA's certified method of testing using LAL, and there's no other really way they get this. So horseshoe crab blood has not only become a key weapon in the medical field, but also in big business. So in the world market, a quart of horseshoe crab blood has a price tag of an estimated, guess how much, for a quart. A quart? Well, yeah. a quart of ice cream is like $5, $5. So a quart of horseshoe blood is probably... Thomas, for a quart, leading to overall revenues from the LAL industry estimated at $50 million per year. Wow. So that's pretty insane. Am I right? How much? You're selling horseshoe crab. So they're harvesting them, you know, around the world, but specifically in the United States because the FDA is here. Um, New Jersey is a big space. New Jersey Um, has a lot of horseshoe crabs. Yeah, you see them on the beach. Just think about it. Maybe a horseshoe crab you see washed up on the beach that's dead. Maybe it was just in a laboratory. You would have never guessed. So it's a really sad thing. So, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with kind of a raising awareness awareness for, like, Horse- yes, sterile medical equipment is crucial. It saves lives and stuff. But also, we can't overdo nature, you know? You'd think we'd be able to synthesize something like this. Yeah, chemically. And that that's what they're working on. They're working to make it cheaper. Obviously, it's very, very expensive yeah, it's also to not, get these things. So. It's in our best interest, too. Yeah. So, I'm really hoping they come up with a chemical alternative. But just think, those horseshoe crabs you see on the beach are extremely valuable. Like that person said in the comments on the video, we should be grateful that they, they offer such a viable resource to us well it's very blue yeah whenever you see a horseshoe crab flipped over and it's still kicking flip them back flip them back put them back in the ocean you may save your life someday who knows or you may say the whole save the whole species of horseshoe crabs thus saving other people i don't know the reason it's so blue i forgot to mention this the amount of copper in the blood extremely high really yeah that's why i wouldn't have guessed that from something that lived in the ocean that had high copper content yeah we have iron in our blood and it makes it red, you know, bright red. It's very vibrant red. So why can't blood be also blue? Well, actually, our veins are blue. You know, when there's oxygen, it's red. But when it's there's no oxygen, it's actually very blue. Yeah. It's like that, but when it's in oxygen, it's always blue. Really interesting, right? It is fascinating. It's really sad looking at the pictures of them getting milk because originally I was like, oh, they're gross creatures. They're like, oh, I don't like stepping on them in the ocean. They're brown and crusty. But, but they're, you, they're peaceful creatures, Thomas. They don't do anything to you. They save your life, if anything. Yeah. You know? It's it's kind of sad. Yeah. So horseshoe crabs, you know? Don't take them for granted. No. They play a big part in our lives. Yeah. Who would have guessed? They're worth a lot of money. I'm not saying you should get into the industry, but you should get into the industry to figure out what's a better thing, you know? So each year, I want to say, the medical industry catches around 600,000 horseshoe crabs. Wow. 
Yeah. Oh, it was the conservation of nature. They bumped it up to vulnerable on the red list of endangered animals. Well, the more you know. Yeah, and people are just getting into this, realizing like, okay, we need to look into this. We need to protect the species. You know, animals extremely endangered, many of them, and we need to keep them. You know, why should we lose life? You know, exactly. when we have the perfect capability of keeping animals alive. So yeah, hope you learned something. Yeah, I think LAL. LAL. The blue blood of the horseshoe crab is a sterilizing it. It's a crazy thing. When I saw the color of the blue blood, I was like, yeah, it is like they referring to Star Wars, you know, and the, they drink the milk or I whatever. Just, I remember seeing a picture somewhere that's like it's blue blood coming out of this crab. I never knew why. Yeah. I never knew what it did. Yeah. So well, really it does a lot. Yeah. It's worth a lot of money. So who would have guessed? I didn't read that in the Farmer's Almanac. That's for sure. No, I don't know if they do much. No, they do tides. Yeah. You can see when they wash up all the crabs. Yeah, when the Farmer's Almanac says low tide, you can go find some horseshoe crab. Yeah, flip them over, save them. Yeah. Like you said. Yeah. All right. But I think that's what we have for this week's episode of Two Top. And we'll, we'll see you guys. Something. And we'll see you guys next time. For another Two Topics. See ya. This was Two Top, an independently created and run podcast created by Thomas Lance and Matt Berg. Music this episode comes from Lee Rosever. For more info about this week's episode, visit us at twotoppodcast.com. For general inquiries and feedback, send us an email at twotoppodcast at gmail.com. See you next week for another Two Topics.